Welcome to the RSM Podcast Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about Rock Solid Ministries, our free revival service, printed materials, and devotionals, or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. My guest today is Cody Shingle. Cody, we met way back in 2008 when I held my first revival with the Dutch Fort Christian Church near Claysville, PA. And since then, we've been together in many revivals, many revivals. Amen, brother. That's true. Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio. Uh, you're a good friend and a staunch supporter of revival in the American church. I know that. And I'm so happy to have you on Frontline Service. You're also an elder, too. And I want you to tell us about that. But first, I want you to go back and, Cody, just tell us your story. Well, if we go to the Wayback Machine, Tom, I guess right. that puts us back to about 1973, really. Um, my, my parents had moved to a little town called West Alexander, Pennsylvania, smack dab in the middle of Wheeling, West Virginia, and Washington, PA. So 15 miles in either direction would take you there. It was just a little dot on a map. It's even less prominent now than it was, of course, back then. And I was a three-year-old or so. And uh, I've heard my mom tell this story a, a million times, and it's just such a great story. It bears repeating. They moved to town, and my mom had always had a, a yearning to have a relationship with Jesus. She felt that it was really important. She had been an off-and-on church attender, really, since her youth. And uh, she got to town, and where, where we were living on Liberty Street was uh, between three different churches. There were three churches there. There was a Methodist church up over the hill, to the right, there was a Christian church up over the hill, right off the street, and there was a Presbyterian church up over the hill to the left. And so, you know, my mom said, there's three churches right here, we're going to be in one of them on Sunday. And uh, some people would call it a twist of fate, I call it a blessing in God's divine providence. The first person to show up and knock on the door was a guy named Ollie Bird, he was the minister of the First Christian Church of West Alexander, Pennsylvania. I like that. Didn't <laughs> let the grass grow under his feet. Yeah. New, new family, I'm going to go calling. Absolutely. It's exactly what he did. And, and you know, back in that, in that day, that was exactly how you got members to the church. Well, I think, to me, mm. I think it is today, a new church where God tell people, I chase U-Hauls. <laughs> yeah, I see U-Haul coming to town, man. I'm going to circle the block and see if they're loading or unloading. <laughs> yeah, and, and you got to form a relationship with them, right? right. You know, you got to let them know that you're there. And I think the biggest thing is you got to let them know that Jesus is there for them and you're the hands and feet of that. Right. So, uh, and, and that's what this minister was doing. He came and, and saw my mom and we wound up at that church the next Sunday and I, I continued there until I was in my 20s. And um, that really was a pivotal, a pivotal time in not just in the life of my parents, but in the life of our entire family. And as you know, that having gotten to meet all of us. We, we're, we're a family full of Christian servants. Um, we're dedicated to our churches and to whatever causes our churches yes. are engaged in. And, and we are kingdom workers, you know, that, and, and that's because of that one meeting that day where Ollie Bird came and, and saw my parents at our house. But, you know, if you look, in, if you look into that story, here's the amazing part of it. My mother 
was 18 years old with four kids. My dad was 20. My mom would soon turn 19. My dad was 20. And that probably doesn't sound like a success story. <laughs> a 20-year-old and 19-year-old and four kids. It's just, and it's not what great stories are made out of. But it's a great story because God was at the center of that. Right. And, um, and that's really, that, that, that really taught me a lot from an early age about the divine providence of God. He's, he's going to take care of you. He's there for you even whenever you don't know how to be there for yourself. And so um, that really was just a, a pivotal time. And, um, you know, my parents were married young and had a young family. And they had all the struggles that come with that and, and maybe some besides. But, you know, until my dad passed away at the age of 48, they were together. So 32 years on this earth that they had together and raised up four strong Christian kids that have now raised four strong Christian families. Yeah, and, 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 and I, I couldn't be out of that. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Couldn't be more thankful. Yeah. Um, not just for my parents, but, you know, that preacher coming. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I have a preacher friend, Nathan Thomas, uh, in northern Louisiana, and I heard... I said Northern Louisiana, I'm sorry, Northern Alabama. I got to figure out where I'm at. But uh, I, I had an opportunity to stop by and hear him preach one time uh, a few years ago. And one of the things he said that I have not forgotten, and it's really made an impact on my life. He said, so often the spirit moves us to do something. And we think, well, yeah, but not right now. I'll take care of that. And that's the time to do it. And that preacher that called on your family I, I, I don't say that how many Christians listening and how many preachers listening have felt that's a new family in town. I ought to go call on them. Yeah. And then you didn't. And maybe they, by the time you got there, they weren't quite as interested or maybe somebody else got to them. And that might've been, that might've been the shingle family. Right. That, that might've been a family just like yours that to this day is serving Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a generational loss. It wouldn't be just a loss for that one family. Right. It's a generational loss. You know, we now have, so my mom, if you look at her in this situation, she's got multiple great-grandchildren now that are going to church with their parents who are grandchildren of my mother. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible uh, to me how God works in the lives of, of the people who are committed to Him. And your, your mother is one of those dedicated people that... Um, I, I so look forward to seeing Beth and I both do whenever we're at the church at at Dutch Fork mm. because she is just well, I can count on her. I mean, she'll meet us down there before services on Saturday on Saturday. She'll meet us down there so I can get set up and she'll answer any questions I've got, you know, make sure I, we have everything we need. And and then she's down there on Sunday morning saying, now, have you got everything, you know? Well, yeah. And, and you know, the thing of it is, and I, I think people don't realize this a lot of times, whether you're talking about church leadership in terms of being, you know, the elders and the deacons of the church, or if you're talking about the minister who's kind of making everything run, they need help. They can't do it all themselves. There, there, there could not hope to be enough help in a church for those people to be successful. So each person in that church needs to be a part of what's going on. And yeah. I think that's, that's obviously one of the points you continue to try to make through the re revival process, which is what you see uh, an right. awful lot in your work. And uh, it's something you remind people about when you're, when you're in a located church where uh, if you were in located ministry or you're working in, 
in church leadership, you're constantly trying to tell people, take ownership of this. This is, this is your church here, your commitment to God's kingdom. And, you know, get on board with it and help it however you can. And I think that's, I learned that from my mother really largely. And then she, she brought my dad along and then he became a good Christian leader. And so I saw that, I saw that example in my life, in my household. Then right. I saw it in my church. You know, and so those things are reinforced and to the point that you realize this is how, really how it works. Mm-hmm. And um, so a, a lot of times, you know, I spent most of my life in Christian service just trying a lot of times to, to do the things that churches that I, were, I was at couldn't hope to pay for. They didn't, have, they didn't have the money to pay for some of the services I could provide, but I would be willing to do it. And that gave them an opportunity to have that service provided without having to worry about breaking the bank or the right. budget to do it, you know. And um, so, you know, I tell people all the time, everybody's got a ministry. You know, the question is, is yours active or is it inactive? Is yours good or is it bad? You know, you, you've got a ministry. If you've, been, if you've been baptized, then you've got a ministry and God needs you to do something with that ministry. And so a lot of times... Um, my ministry turns out to be what people need. Whatever it is that they need that I can provide, that's what I'll do. So you were, say again how old you were when you moved to West Alexander. I was three years old. So, and, and where do you fall in line with your siblings? So I'm the youngest of four and um, the best looking of the four as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to get some of the rest of them on here you know, and, and, and just see about that. And uh, you've met us all, so you know there's no mistaking that the brothers are related. We, yes. we look pretty much alike. Yeah. But, uh, so I'm the youngest of the four. And so, so from their perspective, you know, I always got everything great. And uh, I never did any, you know, I, I always got pampered because nobody ever thought I did anything wrong. And I used to just tell people, well, no, I had three good examples in front of me. I wasn't about to do all the wrong stuff you guys did, you know. So. That's right. You, you, you <laughs> saw the trouble they got into when they were doing it. I'm avoid that trouble. So when, when did you make your decision? How would, you, you, you know, believe it or not, I did not, I, I, I knew all along that I needed to make my decision to be a Christian. And I mean, I knew all along, probably by the time I was, six or seven years old. But I put that off until I was 13 years old. And I really don't, there was really no active reason why. It was kind of like I just, I knew it was going to happen. I knew, and I just kept saying, well, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And that same preacher, Ollie Bird, came to see me during a revival week. He brought, he brought the, uh, the, the revival speaker with him. It was Jay Eastman. And he said, we've been too long waiting for you to make this decision. You know what has to be done now. I mean, that's how he started the conversation. Wow. And, what a, what uh, a great way for a preacher to start. Yeah, with. yeah, absolutely. I don't know how far you'd get with that nowadays, but, no. but he knew exactly what he needed to do. And, and he knew he was talking to somebody who knew better than to keep putting it off. Right. So June 14th, 1983, I was baptized into Christ and really then began my, my Christian service for the most part. And you know, three years later, I, I was my first experience at uh, leading worship. And, um, you know, leading worship back then was not like it is now. You don't, yeah. you didn't have a band. You, you just had somebody playing the piano and you, you led some songs. Right. You know, so that was, I got elected to be the, the uh, Sunday school superintendent. And there was, if you, I'm sure you recall back in the day, it was very formalized. You know, yeah. you had Sunday school, then you had a Sunday school closing. Then you had the right. worship 
time began. So I would always do the uh, Sunday school closing, and so that's where I really cut my teeth as a worship leader. And um, I've really kind of been doing that ever since, you know. Uh, and I've, I've evolved in that role just as leading worship in churches has evolved, you know. And you eventually get to the point where, well, you're not only picking the songs, but you're, you're playing the songs and you're singing the songs. And, and um, I've, really, I've really enjoyed that part of it because I, really it's been almost, I guess, um, what's been almost 30, almost 40 years now that I've been doing some of that stuff. And You and started right after you were baptized. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah, 16 yeah. years old. So about a three-year period there were, and I'd been singing in the choir and, you know, I'd taken, I had been in choir at school and stuff. So I knew what I was doing with that stuff, but they put me to work right away as they could. And um, so, uh, so yeah, it, it, and, and that really, I didn't realize at the time what that was preparing me for because it was just, it was a job that they gave me. I knew I could do it and I was going to give the Lord the best effort I could to do it. And um, I didn't realize I would, you know, in 2023 uh, be 12 years in as the worship minister of the refocus christian church i, I mean i didn't think that far ahead mm -hmm. you know i just was trying to do what god would have me do and um it proves out the scripture you know i mean um jesus himself said to to those who who can do what i ask i'll give them more and that's what he's done every time Every time I've done what I thought the Lord was asking me to do, there's been more on my plate to do. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I take that as a blessing. A lot of people would be bothered by that, but I take that as a blessing because it must mean that God's entrusting me with, with uh, carrying the gospel in whatever way I can. Right. You know. But, uh, so, yeah, so we were, you know, it, it's funny because over time, a lot of times in churches, relationships can deteriorate and things can change and and uh, I still I still love all those people at the First Christian Church of West Alexander for what they were to us and what they did for us and uh, but you know by the time I was around 22 years old I'd been a deacon there uh, for a little bit and uh, it just things got uh, a little bit there's a lot of tension and we we knew as a family it was just it was time to move on and um, so we went ahead and moved on, uh, went down to Dutch Fork Christian Church one Sunday. They were averaging about a dozen people in their attendance, and we showed up with 13 in our family. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, I don't know how many churches can say they doubled their attendance in a week, but, <laughs> but they did. And, and how uh, far was Dutch Fork from your home? About four miles, just about yeah. four miles. A lot of... Christian churches slash instrumental churches of Christ in this yeah. part of the country. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and you know, um, we'd always kind of known that uh, Dutch Fork was there. I had gone to uh, vacation Bible school at Dutch Fork many times uh, from my youth on until uh, I graduated from high school. But, uh, and we supported things that they did down there, but we didn't, obviously, weren't regular tenders there because we were serving it the uh, First Christian Church in West Alexander, but, but you know, to their credit, they, they really welcomed us, and they didn't know why we were there. They didn't know what was going on, but they welcomed us. And for whatever, you know, they, they, in their mind, for whatever reason you're here, we're glad you're here, you right. know, and, and they were very gracious people, and we've created, as you know now, lasting, lifelong relationships. And so we began serving there, and that's really where 
that brings us up to 2008 where I first met you. So when did you go over to Dutch Fork? I uh, went over to Dutch Fork in 1992. 92, so you've been there for 30 yeah, years. Yeah, of course, you know, and I, I tell people all the time, yeah, I'm at, I'm at Follinsby now for, for 12 years, but I'm, I'm still a Dutch Fork guy, you know. Right. I, I'm there every time they do stuff. Well, every and, time we have a revival, you're yeah. there and you're helping out. And, yep. And if you're not leading, you're helping the leading. Absolutely. So yeah. love to be there and be a part of it. And they're, they're great people and I love them, you know. And they have a big part, really. And I think one of the things that happens, one of the things that, and I'll tell you the story of how I got to Fallensby here in a little bit. But one of the things, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was tell my mom and my brother when I was leaving to go to Fallensby, well, I'm going to leave to go to Fallensby. And... Um, and I told, I told my brother, who was an elder at the time, he was the chairman of the elders, I said, listen, because he wasn't, he wasn't extremely happy about it, because you, you, you get to count on people, especially in a small church. Sure. And, and I also was leaving him duties that I was doing that he was going to have to pick up. Right. And I knew that was going to be hard. And I said, you know, we talk all the time about preparing people to carry the gospel. And if we don't let them get beyond these doors, then what are we talking about? Right. And... Um, so there probably was a great period of growth that took place for everybody involved in that situation in, in, uh, in about 2012, 2011 maybe. But, um, it, but you know, God prepared you. That's, that's what I think is happening. You know, God is preparing you for whatever the next ministry is that you have. I agree with that. And, Everything uh, you do prepares you for what's coming next. Yeah, and, and if you're not willing to accept a challenge, then I'm not so sure that you're... You know, and yeah, you were preaching. I, I, I said this to you earlier today. You were preaching last night, and you said we pray for challenge, but we resist change. And yeah. that really is that really is a lot of what we do. Yeah. You know, so we want to be challenged to do the things that God wants us to do. But then when the when that challenge results in change, we're going, oh wait a minute, Lord, I, I, that wasn't quite what I was talking about. Right. So uh, so there was a lot of prayer involved with with that experience of, of leaving Dutch Fork. You know, because that would be. When I left Dutch Fork, it would be the first time I would be out there serving God at another location separate from most of my family, you know. That was a, bit, that was a really big step of faith on your part, too. Oh, and, yeah. And probably pretty, made you a little nervous. Oh, it did. It did. And I also didn't know, um, you know, at Dutch Fork, we're very traditional there. Uh, a lot of hymns, maybe a little bit of contemporary music. But I was going to be going to a church where there was going to be at least a a blended service and and then quite possibly more contemporary than than traditional so you know are you equal to that challenge that's what you're asking yourself right. when you're heading into that and um you know praise god i've prayed about it and worked at it and he's he's made me equal to the challenges that he's put before me but but that was a very interesting experience in, in itself my kids um I've always been musical, I've always been a singer, and uh, my kids really got interested in playing instruments, and that drove me to, to work harder at it and do something with it, you know, and, and that made me want to be a musician that was helping lead worship for people. And um, we started to do that, they were really, they really started young, and I mean very young, Alyssa was playing drums in, a, in sort of a family band. It was me and Alyssa and Courtney at, probably at seven or eight years old. And so Courtney was 10 or 11. And, um, and so we just started doing some things. And, 
that led us to writing some songs and, and sharing them with our church family. And uh, so one of the first real, really, uh, my kids were, were, Courtney and Alyssa, and everybody's going to know, everybody who listens to this is probably going to know who they are. Um, they were they were really great kids in that they never fussed about doing church things. They never fussed about uh, getting involved with church service because they knew that it meant something to me and they saw that it meant something to everybody in their family and that made it mean something to them, you know. And they so... Very impressive kids. Very, as I'm, from the time we met them, yeah. we were just very impressed with them and their, their spirit. Well, I appreciate that. And, and uh, they actually... It's funny because you always think that as a parent, you're going you're gonna to guide your kids exactly where they're going to go. But they actually, you know, it works in reverse. They inspire you to be who you are, too. Right. They provide guidance to you in ways that you don't even really always think about. You right. Know? And um, so at any rate, uh, when Courtney was 17, the, the uh, worship leader at Fonsby and the, and the preacher there had called and said, can you loan us your, your daughter to play guitar for a few weeks? We don't have a guitarist. And I said, yeah, no problem. Well, a few weeks turned into about two months. And so then she said, I think they want me to stay there. What do you think of that? And, and you know, that's, that's really a cause for prayer because you, when you're, you're, you're worshiping as a family group, she's not really an adult, but she's not really yeah. a kid. She can get herself there and she can do the things she needs to do, but... Are you ready for that? And so we, you know, we pretty much talked about it as a family and had a lot of prayer about it. And I kind of was in the same place that I've always been. If I'm preparing you for this work, then I have to trust it, that God's going to take care of you yes. and let you do this. So, so she went and did that. And then a few months later, they asked, could we have Alyssa to play the drums? And that was even harder because she was only about 13, 12, uh, 13 or 14 at the time. And so, really, here we were, uh, my wife and I, um, you know, in our early 40s, and our kids were really worshiping and serving separate from us yeah. while we were still at Dutch Fork. And um, that was different, but I was really proud of their effort and, and what they were doing. Um, and I, so I was behind it 100% because they had talents that, that they were using for the Lord, and it was a kingdom purpose as far as I can, was concerned. It was bigger than than the DNA, you know? It, right. And so, so they did that, and, and then about uh, two years uh, into that, the worship leader was ready to transition out, and he asked Courtney, would she take it? Well, Courtney had just um, signed on to do a year of learning abroad in Austria. So she said, well, I can, I can do it when I get back. And she said, uh, let me talk with my dad and see if he'd be interested in holding this down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, is this all a plan? <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I went to Follinsby, uh, let's see, in, in late July or early August of 2011 on what I thought was a temporary worship ministry. And uh, really what changed it was when my daughter came back, um, well, the two things that changed it. Number one, I'd been there for about a month. And both the minister and associate minister came and said, well, I'm leaving. <laughs> oh. So, so here I am now. No reflection on you, I hope. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. And there was other things in play. And, but, but what was funny about it is at the time, 
Uh, you know, I had an elder say to me, well, you're the only sense of stability that we have right now. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Um, you know, that's, that's a big thing, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, I certainly wasn't going to leave him in that situation. I was committed to holding it down until Courtney came back anyhow. So I was working at that until December, thinking, you know, around December 15th is my date to close this ministry and turn it over to Courtney. And she got back, and, and, and part of our transition plan was we're going to do a couple Sundays together to let everybody get up to speed with her doing it instead of right. just me. And, and then I'll just kind of walk away from that. And she had been at it for a couple of weeks, and she just came and said, you know, I, I think you're supposed to do this. I think you're supposed to do this, and I'm supposed to help you. And uh, so then it's decision time again. <laughs> yeah. right. So now I have to go back and tell my... My family uh, at Dutch Fork, you know, I thought this was temporary. It looks like God's calling me for this to be permanent. That had to be hard. Very for hard. For you yeah. and for Dutch Fork. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and and, um, and so it was really tough. But, you know, it was a lot of emotion and a lot of prayer involved. But, but again, you know, to me in the back of my mind was this guiding force. Do what God puts before you. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's pretty much how it turned out, and that's, that's what has put me in the position that I'm in now. And, um, and I tell people all the time, you know, I believe, you know, Bob Russell said one time, your job is what you're paid for, and your ministry is what you're made for. And I really believe, that might not be true for everybody, but for me that's true. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know that I would excel the same way in a paid ministry because it's different. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but I'm more than happy to do. I'll give you better than you can pay for if you don't pay me. <laughs> you, you know, that's kind of what it's like. And and um, and I just I, so I really do believe strongly in what he said. Your ministry is what you're made for. And so I didn't know what all this time, but all these years that have passed and all this training that I've done was leading me to this ministry opportunity. And um you know, I've greatly enjoyed it for sure. Well, the, the Dutch Fort Church, uh, and I, I've, I have no way of verifying this, but they say they are the oldest continuing rural Christian church in America that has, that has never closed its doors. Uh, is that correct? I'd say that's factual, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and actually, you know, we talk, and, and we knew this at the time. We went there, we really weren't thinking about it and living it every day, but I mean, they were in the heart of the restoration movement in its beginnings, right there along Buffalo Creek. You know, that, that's where it all started. Campbells were baptized. Yeah. 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 So, um, so really, you know, it wasn't one, they talk about the original churches of the restoration movement that were built and, and uh, started by the Campbells. And, and Dutch Fork wasn't one of them, but it was one of the very next ones. So right. uh, I think the, the history of the church dates back to 1811. 1811. So, and that, yeah, so, so that does make them, I would say, the longest continuously operating Christian church or restoration movement church. Yeah. Now, I told the story last night about when COVID hit yeah. and everybody was saying you got to shut down mm-hmm. and some churches didn't. And, and uh, I, you know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. I, I think there's man's laws or mandates and God's word and uh, I think we, you know, if people are ill or they're apt to get ill, they need to stay home. You know, right. we don't want to spread things around. But, you know, first day of the week, 
I'm going to have communion, and if I'm if I'm in a church, I'm going to make sure the table spread. And I, I love the story, and I believe I got this right when they told they called us because we had a revival scheduled in the spring of 2020, and they just we just moved it by about four or five weeks when we started on Memorial Weekend. And it it may have been you that called me because you're the one that I communicated with a lot at the time, but you were already gone, so maybe it was your brother. It was probably Eddie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I take that back, so it was. And it, it, what they said was, uh, this church has never closed its doors. At one time, was it four little ladies? Yeah. Kept yeah. the church open, and yeah. us elders aren't going to be outdone by four little ladies. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and they kept it going, yeah. and, and uh, yeah. surprise, surprise, uh, you know, the whole church didn't die of, <laughs> of COVID, no matter what you think about the whole thing, but, mm. but uh, and we, we had a great revival. Yeah. Um, that, that week turned out to be just a, the, one of the highlights of COVID time for me was that week, because yeah. it, was, it was like, no, we're gonna do what God says. And we were there and holding the memorial service at West Alexander uh, when we, we were told no, and we were looking at the Constitution and it's telling us <laughs> uh, freedom of speech, religion, and assembly. And, uh, but one of the things that has impressed me about that church, I wanna talk about that one first and we'll, we'll go move over to Fallensby, but is the young people there that they really are raising, and a lot of them are in your family, I, I understand that, but if, if they're meeting with the adult class and there's a question asked, one of the young people is liable to speak up just as much as an adult <laughs> yeah. and, and say what the word, what the word says. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last revival I was at, at Dutch Fork, I forget what it was. Uh, one of the young people came in and said to, to one of the adults, uh, nobody took care of this and just turned around and took care of it. I don't remember what it was, but I thought, Wow, that is Dutch Fork. <laughs> you know, that, that's just, I, I don't see that. I don't know if I've seen that anywhere else. I've seen young people step up, yeah. but not in the way they do at Dutch Fork. And, and the way they support the revival, the, the memorial service on Memorial Day, uh, I was so impressed with, with that. There must have been a dozen or more teenagers there, and they weren't all from Dutch Fork, but they were from that area. And uh, how was how that accomplished? I, I think that it has to be, you have to be encouraging to those young people from the very beginning. I, I, that, I believe, is how it's accomplished. And I, and, and I think it, it's Proverbs 22.6 at work. Train up your child in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. These kids, uh, and, I, and I can really only speak from my perspective as a, a father of my children and, and as an elder to a lot of the young people that you're, you're talking about. You, we teach them from the very beginning and we teach them hard stuff, not just the easy stuff. Right. I can remember my daughter when she was three years old, there was a, we were at a, a camp program, Graham at Elkhorn Valley Christian Service Camp, and there was a, an older woman getting baptized and her, her young daughter was crying and upset, well, because she didn't know what was going on. And, and my three-year-old daughter, Courtney, said, well, don't worry about it. Don't cry. When she comes out of the water, she'll be brand new. That's a three-year-old. Wow. You know, how many three-year-olds grasp that? Yeah. And, um, and so to me, it, t- it told me that what we were teaching was right. Yeah. Because that, that, a lot of times I think what you do as, a, as an adult working with kids, you tell yourself, oh, these kids aren't ready for this. These kids aren't ready to hear this. 
or these kids aren't ready to do this or whatever. But, but I mean, I'll say for, for Dutch Fork and, and all the time that I've been associated with Dutch Fork, I've never been bashful about, it. they didn't care about their age. If they could do something and were capable, they're going to get the opportunity. And uh, I think that prepares them for, for not only Christian service, but Christian leadership. Well, do you think, I think sometimes our, we get so programmed and we want everything to go so perfect on a Sunday in our church that, well, we can't let this person do it because they've never done it, or they're too young. My belief has always been, uh, if you've got a young man who's been baptized and he's in seventh grade or, or even younger and, and, he's, and he can read well, you know, he, you know he, he can do that, even if he stumbles in his talking, okay, I'm gonna show you how to give a communion meditation. And we're going to put you on the rotation list for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, 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 and the girls, uh, okay, we're going to put you in and team you up to take your turn in nursery and also to do these other things that, that are done. And I'll get in trouble for that. Oh, you can't separate girls and boys from what they do. But I do. I think the Bible does in some projects and things. Sure. But give them a communion tray and, and let them serve communion. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're not going to learn if we don't let them. And... Yeah, you'll stumble, and, and, and sometimes you'll think, oh, that, that wasn't so good. <laughs> but I remember I was 18 when a church gave me the opportunity to be their preacher. Yeah. And I cannot understand to this day. It, was, it had to be a God thing because, man, to listen to me, and I know now, oh, it's terrible, <laughs> terrible. But I wouldn't be who I am today uh, pushing towards 70 years old now and almost 50 years in ministry if they had not given me the chance, if they not said, all right, we need a preacher. And they were desperate. Let's put it like that. That, that church was <laughs> desperate. And, but I was too. I was desperate to preach. And we've got to give them an opportunity. I think that's absolutely true. And, and uh, I think I, I, just particularly in the time that I spent at Dutch Fork, I was, I was typically more pleasantly surprised than anything else. We would, we would pick somebody to do a youth Sunday message and, and you're like, boy, I don't know. <laughs> and then they get up there and they go. And they, yeah. their thoughts make sense. They, they're sharing God's word and, and they're connecting the dots at the, way that, the way that they should and they're connecting with people. We've done that time and time again at, at Dutch Fork. You know, and, and they still have a youth program now where yeah. they pick a young man to do a, a message. And um, that, that young man at times has been as young as 10, 11, 12, and at times has been as, as old as 20 or so. But, but you're picking somebody who's part of your youth and has grown up in your youth, and you're saying, here's, here's the responsibility I'm going to give you. Right. So go do it. And uh, I, I've, I've, I have appreciated that for sure um, in my experience with Dutch Fortune, no doubt about that. Well, that. Another thing that amazes me is the young people that attend revival, mm-hmm. not just Sunday morning, now, once in a while, they, one will miss because of a ball game or something. Right. But there, depending on the time of year that we happen to be there, but they're there. And oh, yeah. I, I've, I've got pictures of young people being baptized during the revival. And, and our listeners might say, well, young people, I don't know. But we see young people at a lot of revivals. Well, a good number of revivals. I'll put it like that. And Dutch Fork is one where we usually see children through teenagers that are there for the revival. And the teenagers, the children don't always at Dutch Fork. I just kind of want, you know, but that's, you grow them up to do the right thing. They, I mean, they grow up learning and that's fine. 
the children are, are are sometimes boy they they're they're underfoot you know <laughs> uh, I but but the teenagers are paying attention yeah. and and they started out doing just what the little ones are doing now yeah. and I, I I always tell people one of the times that I decided that I might someday uh, become a pretty good preacher was my first time at Dutch Fork. There was a family on the front row and they had all these kids. And those little boys were playing cars. And you know, front row to the to the stage at Dutch Fork, there's no room there. <laughs> Two feet, yeah. <laughs> and and they, were, they were playing with those trucks on the stage and I was preaching, stepping over them. And, I, I, and I'm always, I'm an easily distracted person, but when I got done there, I told Beth, I said, I'm going to be a better preacher for this. <laughs> and I like to think I am now all these years later. Without a doubt. You know, that, that was the challenge God needed you to have That's in that right. situation. And it was a good one. So, Fallensby, now this is a contemporary church. Yeah, pretty much. And, um, and a town church. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's right in downtown Fallensby, at the corner of Penn and Neville. And uh, a lot of people, we've, a lot of people have asked over the years, used to be the Fallensby Church of Christ. And, um, we're not only instrumental, we're highly instrumental, and just didn't feel like that was appropriate, because a lot of times we have people coming in the door looking for non-instrumental service, and they're mortified when right. it's not what they find. And, and really, in the roots of the church, um, they were a, a first Christian church before they were a church of Christ. Right. So we, just, we were looking for a way to get back to Christian church, and also realizing that... Um, our plans to develop a new building at another location would eventually be outside the city limits of Fallensby. Right. So that's what, that's how we landed on refocus Christian church. Um, and, and the whole, the whole mission of it is to refocus people on Christ. I mean, I, I can't think of a better mission than that. That's right. for sure. Yeah. And, uh, so, so to a degree, you know, really what we the atmosphere we're trying to create is the atmosphere you're trying to create in, in your ministry. And that is, we want every experience to be a revival experience. And, right. and, and, and you know what I love about revivals, and, and um, it is amazing to me how, how God can take a single piece of scripture or a message that I've heard numerous times. And, and you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've come to revivals with you, Tom, and you, you come to me before you start, and well, you've heard this one before, and it's okay with me. Because I know God's going to reveal something to me through that message that I never really thought about for whatever reason. It didn't hit me before, and it's, it's, never, failed, it's never failed to be the case. Every time I hear a message, it's like it's brand new. I learned something that I didn't learn before, and it just reminds me of the importance of being in the Scripture. Because I think people, this is a busy world we live in. There's a lot of distractions. And um, if you let them, they can take your attention away from what really matters. But seeing revival services, particularly sometimes that I've, where I've heard the message a couple of times, uh, it reminds me that I, I do need to see it for myself multiple times before I actually understand what, God, what message God's sending me through it. Yeah. I think it's, Beth has said that. You know, people ask her, how can you listen to these? Because I'm traveling evangelists, we use the same sermons a lot. And, and in this area, I've been in this area a lot, but... Uh, not everybody from every church goes to each revival, and I feel like these are messages that those people need to hear, and the others will just kind of put up with me, you know. But uh, people ask Beth, how do you do it? And she said, I, I always get more. Now, she doesn't as much now because she can't take notes. No. Now, for the last number, I don't know how many years she'd been running the PowerPoint for me, but used to she kept notes, and she could always have a whole page of notes, uh, 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 even if she'd heard the sermon 15 times. 
And um, good for you though this week. It's a series you've never. I've it's, never, I've it's, never a, preached it's, in brand, it's brand new. I, I don't even know how to acclimate. You know, <laughs> I know. I've not heard these, so that's great. And yeah. I'm looking forward to even more of it. And it's, uh, I, you know, I really, I really do, um, you know, I really do. Uh, the ministries that we're engaged in have a lot in common, and that is, you don't take any money for your ministry, and I really don't either. I've had right. people. I've been paid for things before, and, and uh, but I'm not out there looking for it. You right. Know? I'm I'm doing it because I love the Lord and I want to serve, and yeah. that's really what you're doing. Right. You know, and you you just have the benefit of working for a, a benefactor who gets right. the importance of providing that service. Yeah. And and what I've always loved about Rock Solid Ministries, and this is not to to do a commercial, but I love the fact that you're serving churches that otherwise might not be able to put on the quality program that you. That provide. is true. And I mean, because because let's face it, you know, how many times could could a traveling evangelist show up and have 13 people? That's true. But you don't have to worry about it because you're set up for this purpose. And I think that's a really it's a really I don't know if I said it last night, but I I always get a kick out of the fact that during COVID someone said pretty not. It's always hard to tell when you get a text or you get a message on Facebook. They said it and I felt like it was not in a very kind way. Uh, when they saw a, a promotion for a revival we're doing back in 2020, you're still holding mass meetings? And I, I laughed. I looked at Beth and I said, apparently they've never been to one of my revivals. <laughs> but we do, we, we, we do, we do some fairly good sized congregations, three, 400, never, never more than 400. Uh, we would do larger ones, but we're not looking for larger ones. Right. And as you know, we've, we've been, uh, we've been to ones as small as uh, I think, uh, Greg, we we're talking today. Greg had been one with six, but that included him and Lori. <laughs> and Beth and I, one with seven, that included her and me. So, uh, but the thing is, that one with seven, there was there was one little boy there that came to their midweek services. They had a midweek children's program after school, but the, but the church itself was very small. But they have forty kids. But that kid came, and it was an ice storm in northern Indiana. Wow! Yeah. And he was there. And he walked up to me and tapped me on, on, on the side. And I turned around and he said, Mr., I'm going to be a preacher someday. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, it's <clears throat> worth being at this church. Amen. Uh, and and uh, we were at a church recently, and not to give a, a, an ad like you said, but it just making a point that this church where Greg went, Greg and Lori, that had six, I went several years later, and I think there were maybe 16 because he had a good re- revival there. And two little boys there out of that group that I gave a little extra special attention to. And within a year, I got a video of each of those boys were preaching their first sermons. Oh, that's awesome. And, and uh, we had kind of encouraged them that way while we were there. So I think it's good. I, I, know of, I, I know of ministries that say, well, we can't come. Your church is too small. Doesn't matter what you pay. You've got to get other churches or you can't pay enough. You've got to get other churches. And I understand that there are these ministries that, that that's, they have to make their living like that, and and I, I'm not putting them down for that at all. I appreciate the fact they're out there doing what they can do, and they know what they have to have to live on. We're blessed to have uh, about 20 families now and about 20 churches that that keep us going, so we don't have to. But these churches, like you say, they need absolutely they need ministry yeah. too. Absolutely, and and um, I'm I'm a firm believer that revivals bring the people that need to hear the message. And yeah, it, and it's it. That person can be found in a group of seven or six. You know, that's, what I mean, that's true. 
we don't know. It, yeah. We really don't. And uh, you, you know, you would when you think about when you think about what you would do to save a person's life. There's right. No, there's no limit, right? Right. Well, what would you do to save a person's soul? It's even it's even greater responsibility. Yeah. So to me, who, whatever the number is, you go and you do it because, you know, it's just like in my life playing music. I've played for I've played for groups of a half dozen, and I've played for groups of a thousand. You know, it it it, it doesn't matter whatever whatever God's going to make of it. He's going to make of it. I just have to give my best effort so that He can be heard. Right. And we've got to be faithful in in in, in little. So that we can be faithful in much. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. So yeah. I really believe that whatever God calls us to do, we we don't need to be looking to make a name for ourselves. Right. Jesus is in, is the one in the spotlight. We just need to do what He tells us to do. And Amen. Uh, if it's if it's moved to a, another state, far from home, to establish a church with just you and your wife and a couple of kids, and and raise your own funds to do it, but if you feel God's leading you to do it, then do it. If God's leading you, He'll provide. Uh, it, it, it may be, as we say, chicken one week and feathers the next, but He'll provide, <laughs> and, and you'll get through. But we, we have got to answer the call when God calls us and, and do it. And you did that moving to Fallensby. And I know that was difficult because I know your family and I know how close you are. And, and, and I know how wonderful it is out at Dutch Fork. It's a great oh, place. Yeah. And I've not had a chance to visit where you're at in Fallensby because I'm always busy when I'm here. Yeah. But... But I know it's it's going well there. And are are you is the church there? Are they still planning on moving outside of town? Well, that would be the we've got a property on Archer Hill Road that really they purchased probably close to 15, 20 years ago, which would put them in, you know, by address in Colliers, West Virginia, which was outside the city of of Fallensby limits. So that is still the plan. And right. and you know things being what they are, just construction costs being what they are trying to make the money work sure. is, is the difficult part. But, but we've, I think we've reached a conclusion as a group of leaders that got to step out on faith if we believe in it. And uh, so we're getting closer every day to being ready to make that a, a big move. Now, which town did you say is going to be closer to? It'll be, cl- it'll be by address. It'll be in Colliers, but it'll really still be, you know, five, five seconds from Fallsby. Yeah. So is it on one of the main roads? Yeah, so it'll be, um, if, you're, if you're traveling on Route 2, mm-hmm. instead of going all the way into Fallensby, if you're traveling south on Route 2, you're going to make a left uh, up on the Highland Hills. And it will, it's literally five minutes probably from the location of our church right now. Okay. It just happens to be by, by the address, a different town. A little more space. Yeah. Are you, the building you're in now, is it a church, it is the church building that was... Church building built in 1905, the original part of the structure, and there's been additions. I mean, you talk about a church that's been kind of piecemealed together. This is it. You know, you you can get lost if you turn around and go in the wrong direction, because you're not, it doesn't doesn't all fit together like a a well-planned out church facility would. And that's one of the things that we're trying to achieve by a new building would be Let's 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 put together a building that works. It's functional, right? And, and doesn't have a lot of deficiencies like ours does right now. But but still very very proud of of uh, the history that's there since 1905. A continuous congregation, not only a continuous congregation downtown in Fallsby since 1905, but that church spawned the Hooverson Heights congregation. And Hooverson Heights, how far is that? That's built? only about a mile. 
So how far will you be at your new location? Like a mile and a half, two miles. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. 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 yeah it's uh, and, and even and even and even the story of how Hooverson Heights came to be. That was a group of leaders uh, downtown at the Fallen to Be Church of Christ that said, you know, and, and you got to remember it's back in the 50s, 1955. Communities were more walkable and people didn't own vehicles. Right. Or multiple vehicles. Sure. So they went to they went to where they could walk to. Right. And so that so really the vision of that group of leaders downtown to realize that there needed to be a congregation up on the hill, that was significant. Yeah. And so they just they gave them the seed money for that congregation and and it took off and 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 uh, you know both churches have enjoyed a great history. Well, I, I appreciate the visit with you. Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, not really. You know, I, I, I think that I think that my life, I always used to say to people, well, what do people want to know about my story? My story is really boring, you know, and because I, I'm really, I'm going to be pretty near one of those people that's a womb to the tomb Christian. I mean, I get into the church. I don't have a single memory in my life where there's a season without a loving Christian family. That my whole life is, is filled with it. Right. And, and, and and I as I began to think about those kind of things, I began to think, you know how many, you know how many men in located ministry have had seasons in their life where they weren't surrounded by a loving Christian family? Oh yeah. Lots. Yes. You know, not that's not to say anything of families or individuals who have who couldn't always say they had a loving Christian family in their life. And I I've had that. I've had that three times over now. Right. And it just proves to me uh that, that God's going to provide what I need in every situation. And, and, you know, when you think about, I was listening to Brother Greg uh, preach there a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago at Rob's church, and he was talking about Philippians 4.13, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and, and, and making a point of the fact that that was contextual to, to Paul's life and what right. life had shown him, and that you eventually have to be in a situation where you can say that's true for me too. And, and I'm glad to say and happy and proud to say, I, I can say that too, because God has shown me continually at every turn, he's gonna give me everything I need if I will give him my best effort. Right. And, and, and I've learned that from all of the Christian leaders and all of the Christian family that I've been fortunate enough to be involved with over the years. And then, and then people that I would meet through experiences like yours, you know, and. Uh, some of the first people we met were, were, were Art Bush coming with his ministry and, yeah, and um, you know, Hoyt Allen coming with his ministry and then later on you and, and a lot of other folks. And, and probably, probably one of the most significant things that ever happened was when I was 28 years old, we did a revival meeting with Hoyt Allen and he came up to me afterward and he said, brother, there's no reason you can't do exactly what I'm doing. And um, I said... Well, I think you're being crazy, Hoyt, but okay. <laughs> and 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 uh, but there was some truth in what he was saying. And then and then about three years later, Art Bush was there, and we did a revival, and him and I sang a couple songs together. And and he came up to me afterwards and said, "Brother, there's no reason you can't be doing what I'm doing." <laughs> uh. And that was significant because I wasn't thinking like that on a kingdom level necessarily. I'm right. just serving my church. But I think that's what God has revealed to me in these last 
you know, 15 years. That Yeah, okay, maybe I'm not traveling in a ministry like they are, but I, but I do have a ministry, and, it, and it's designed to be what God wants it to be for the kingdom. Well, God's put you there to lead worship and to shepherd the people. And, and I think from what I see, fellow looking from the outside in, it seemed like you do a pretty good job of that. And, and we love seeing you at revivals. I know unless something desperate is going on in your life or your work, that wherever, uh, whenever we're in the area, you're going to be there at least one night, Amen, if, you're, if, if not multiple nights. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, I guess it's time we're going to have to end this. I hate doing that, but because uh, I've enjoyed visiting with you, enjoyed having lunch with you today. Absolutely. Me Thank too. you for lunch, by the way. I'll, you're I'll, you're I'll quite welcome. You're, I appreciate what yeah. you do and your, and your work, and that's, I really do. People, people who are in the ministry, whether it's located or evangelistic, you can't pay them enough. I, I don't care what people tell you. You can't pay them enough, and we don't do a good enough job as a group of Christians lo- locally or uh, globally of taking care of our ministry personnel. But I really, I really appreciate the effort of you and Greg and, and, and everything that you're doing. I appreciate it. Well, this concludes another Frontline Servants program. Keep listening for more programs like this, as well as our Just Preaching and Just Music programs. And would you do something for us, listeners? If this program has been an encouragement to you, tap the like and follow buttons, share it with your friends and coworkers in Christ, leave a comment, rate the program, and maybe even share the link on your social media site. We would certainly appreciate that. Until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying, goodbye and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.